Welcome to the Play Golf in College podcast with all things junior golf and college golf. Now here are your hosts, Coach Mark McDonald and PGIC founder, Coach Brad Sparling. Welcome back to the Play Golf and College podcast, where we talk about all things junior golf and college golf. And this week, we have Doug Martin, the head men's golf coach at Cincinnati, on with us. Doug has a unique background. He was the number one ranked junior golfer in the country in the mid-80s, was the number one ranked amateur in the country, was a three-time All-American golfer at Oklahoma, finished second in the NCAA championship to Phil Mickelson, played on tour, won a couple times on tour, and has been the head coach at Cincinnati for 13 to 14 years now. So looking forward to this today. Doug has some golden nuggets in this podcast. So listen up, pay close attention, and some beautiful stories that he's going to share with us at the end too. So uh, we're excited about this this week's episode. Enjoy. Doug, thanks so much for being here with us. Uh, I'm, I'm great grateful to be here with you guys and you know what you guys are doing for young juniors um kind of around the midwest is pretty amazing it's pretty cool to see what you guys are doing and your love for these kids uh is is really visible thank you uh, we appreciate that hey so you have an incredible background but talk to us basically about your coaching philosophy and how you work with your players i think the listeners would be intrigued by that well, I think, you know, from from where we started as a program in Cincinnati, uh, I guess, 14 years ago, 13, 14 years ago for me, um, you know, we've made drastic improvements in our program, becoming fully funded. Um, our recruiting base has expanded greatly. But really, when we're looking at kids and really about our program is, is player development's a big part of our program. And, you know, with having the background of playing at the level that I played, one of the things that I try to do is help players identify their strengths and weaknesses. And we start with that evaluation when we recruit them and we try to evaluate um, what, what we think their strengths are, what we think their weaknesses are. And so when they arrive, we've got a pretty good baseline. And then we typically use the first semester to help them assess their game and, you know, a lot of kids today, I feel, don't do a great job of assessing the strengths and weaknesses of their game. Uh, they, they tend to migrate towards working on their strengths and not so much their weaknesses. And that's one of the things that we try to do. So when, when they come in that freshman year, we really take a look at how they practice. So we take a look. Are they efficiently using their time? Um, we, we try to teach them to how do, how do, how do I evaluate my game? Uh, we also talk about time management. Uh, we talk about developing a game that travels. Uh, what does it take to, you know, go from the bluegrass and bent grass here in the Midwest to Bermuda grass and Poana and all the different types of grasses and <clears throat> elevations and all the things that you have to understand to develop a game that travels. So that's, you know, really from a philosophy standpoint, we are very, uh, both my assistant coach and I are very dialed in on the development. We we don't ever miss a practice. We're there from start to finish. Um, we we pay very close attention to one through ten or one through nine. No matter how many kids we have on our team, 
um, <clears throat> whether you're in the lineup or not, we're really focusing in on the development because, you know, we have a, we have a philosophy in our program that this is not on the job training. This is not on the job training and you've got to be prepared when your number's called, um, you know, in football, it's the next man up and in golf, we just said, you know what, it's not on the job training. You've got to be ready. And then really probably the last thing that I think kids struggle with today <clears throat> is understanding the difference between coaching and criticism. And, and I find that the kids in our program that understand the difference are the kids that are flourishing and they, they came here to Cincinnati for a reason. They came here. I'm hoping to be coached. And so that's what we do is we, we try to coach them up. Yes. Some kids may look at it as criticism because we're harder on some kids than other kids, but there's a tremendous amount of love in our program from coaches to players and players to coaches and it's just understanding the difference between coaching and criticism because there's a big difference in the kids that kids that flourish are the ones that understand the coaching part of it. Mm-hmm. Doug, one thing you mentioned, uh, just especially with development, uh, what would be some ways for them to learn to start realizing what those weaknesses are and then obviously uh, attacking those weaknesses and trying to improve on them? Well, I think the, the, the first thing is you know, you guys know the transition from junior golf to college golf is very difficult because they get exposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get exposed in, in, in some different ways. And, and maybe exposed is not the right word, but clearly the golf courses are much more difficult in college. Secondly, the weather is much, much more demanding in the fall and the spring in college golf than it is for most of these kids during their summer golf schedules. So um, you know, the, the big thing is just teaching them awareness and then admittance. They have to admit that something is a weakness and they have to know the difference between a strength and a weakness. And then they have to go, you know, be able to understand, OK, if it's a weakness, well, what do I do to fix it? How do I work on it? You know, how am I able to evaluate if I'm making progress and making this weakness more of a strength? Good point. Absolutely. Doug, what would you say, obviously you've, you've been, again, we talked about your, your playing, uh, your playing resume, your background, what would be some of the biggest differences that you see between some of those elite level players, whether at the junior or collegiate level, um, versus just some of the, the, some of the average players? Um, I think first and foremost is belief in themselves. I think that's a big deal. Uh, you see kids that that really have um, a moxie about them that they believe in themselves. Um, I think also your upper tier players have diversity in their game. They're able to use trajectory to control distance. They have versatility around the greens. Um, you know, we talk about in our program, there's a lot of players that can play golf when it's 75 degrees and there's no wind the number gets fewer and fewer when it's 55 degrees and the wind's blowing 25 miles an hour. And there's a level of toughness there. There's a level of understanding of how to maneuver your way around a golf course. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just important that, that kids understand that they've got to develop a game. And, you know, one of the things that I tell my players all the time, I quit playing professionally when I was 33 years old, 34 years old, and I was still learning. And if I wasn't still learning, I was getting lapped. And this game is a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a um, long distance run. It's not a sprint. You know, you've got to continue to grow as a player. 
and look for ways to get better. And that's one of the things that, you know, when I was on tour, um, I was very blessed to develop relationships with a lot of guys that were a lot better than I was and they were of age and they had experience. And I asked them constantly, can I play a practice round with you? Because I want to soak you in. And, and that's something that, you know, again, that's, that was just a trait that I was able to have. And I utilized it to my benefit because I learned so much from other players. So give us a couple examples. Cause I think that's just awesome. Uh, going to be awesome insight for, for some of our listeners. Well, I remember my rookie year, my first tournament, and I shared this story with the team the other day. Um, Riviera playing with Jay Haas and Blaine McAllister in the last round. <clears throat> my first real opportunity to have a top 10 finish. I think it was my third or fourth event my rookie year. And I'd played three days of very flawless golf at Riviera. I think I was 68, 69, 68, or, you know, I was five, six, seven, under eight, under whatever I was, whatever the number was. And I just was in, in a great place, <clears throat> wake up Sunday morning and get to the range and I got nothing. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at my caddy going, Oh boy. You know, all, all I did was work out, practice, eat and sleep. And I wake up the next morning and I've got nothing. And, you know, we're just kind of talking on the range and, you know, I just told him, I said, you know, we're going to have to grind this one out. And so, and I think part of it was I was nervous. And so I get to the first tee and the first tee at Riviera is a very, just a beautiful tee shot. People are standing on the roof of the clubhouse. If you've never been there, it's just an unbelievable setting for a first tee shot. And it's a very easy hole to open your day unless, unless it's a major, they make it a par four, but it's typically a par five that you're going to hit a three wood and some type of a middle to long iron, make it easy for to start your day and move on. So I step up and hit a pure three wood right down the middle of the fairway. And <clears throat> Jay Haas, who was one of my mentors and a great friend and still to this day is a great friend. He goes, are you okay? I said, Jay, I am nervous as you know what? <laughs> and he goes, where else would you rather be today? And I'm Love like, it. man, that's the truth, brother. Yep. And I just settled in, shot 68 or 69 in the last round, finished sixth or seventh. And it was just one of those deals where, you know, every time I got in that uncomfortable place, my message to myself was, well, where else would I rather be? And yeah, then it was back to comfort. I think that's a great point. One thing I was fortunate enough, I, I grew up in Dublin uh, and there were just so many really good players uh, growing up when I was, when I was young and I was fortunate enough to, to latch on to some, some older players. And it, like you said, it's amazing how much you can actually learn in a round of golf. If you're just playing with someone that's a heck of a lot better, you and paying attention to what they're doing, asking them certain questions. Um, but these junior golfers, I think it would be a great, great advice to them to figure out, who the better players are. Uh, most of them already know who the better players are at their club or wherever they play and pick their brains and play with them as much as they can and see how much they can learn. But like you said, it's, it's all about continuing to grow, continuing to develop. Um, and if you're not, someone else is. And like you said, you're going to get lapped. No. And it's, it's, you know, we, we have a prime example of that right now. We have, you know, I consider Austin Squires a top 50 player in the country and, you know, the players on our team, it's clearly obvious the players on our team that want to learn from him. 
and and it's shame on you if you're not and it's just it's an understanding that just because someone's better than you doesn't mean you can't catch them and you got to keep learning and keep growing and that's something again like i said we emphasize big time in our program i'm going to follow up on what a couple things you touched on earlier self-belief and toughness Uh, i firmly believe that those can be developed and do you have the same opinion on that and if so how do you you know foster increased self-belief because when it comes down to it that's got to be number one if you if you don't truly believe that you can get it done it's just not going to happen and then and then the mental toughness how do you work on that well i think belief comes in practice and then executing in competition and you know one of the things that is so hard in golf is there's only one winner every week and so you as a player have to figure out what's winning golf. What what does it mean to play winning golf? And if you continuously play winning golf, it may not be winning a tournament, but it means you're playing winning golf. And if you continue to do that, you will win tournaments. And that's part of, I think, what we look at that. That self-belief comes from practice and again, comes from experience. And, you know, from a mental toughness side, it's nothing more, than putting yourself in difficult conditions in practice and being able to go out and practice. And, and uh, you know, we, we know everybody can go out and, man, I played great in the practice round and I was terrible the next day in the tournament. Well, it's because you're not getting into the right environment mentally and you're not, your focus isn't at the level that it needs to be. For You can't turn this, there, there's very few players that have ever played this game. Maybe Fred Couples, maybe Phil Mickelson, that can turn the light switch on when they want to. And you've got to be, you've got to create your practice to be extremely challenging and extremely informative to you so that when you get in competition, you're, you're relying on feel, you're relying on mechanics and you're relying on belief in yourself. So, you know, toughness is to me, the challenging one toughness is a challenging one because it's something that, it really has to come within and you have to force yourself. You got to put yourself in extremely difficult conditions. Mm-hmm. Agree hundred percent. Yeah. And that's what, that's what Brad and I are trying to do. And with, with all of our players that we work with is try to create an environment for them in practice that is as close or even possibly dip more difficult than how they feel in a tournament. And then there's a saying where it's, it's hard training, easy combat versus easy training, hard combat. And yeah. for all these, for all these players, if, if they're going through practice and if they just, if it feels super easy, they're probably doing something wrong. I mean, we want them to struggle during practice so that when they get in that competition, they've either already dealt with that struggle or they, it should feel a little bit easier and their performance should be a heck of a lot better because it's just too often than not, we see great golf swings on the range. And then all of a sudden they go on the golf golf course and can't break 80. Well, it's, it's, it's- you go to a tour event, even a junior junior golf event, you walk up and down the range and you see likeness. You go out on the course and you see separation. You see the guys that are different. And, you know, like I said, they, they all make the sound. They all look pretty on the range. But I, I want that I want that prettiness on the golf course, too. I'm going to switch to some on-course comments from you so i've watched you coach in college several times you tend to do a little bit less than a lot of college coaches out there and i think we had a conversation once at purdue about that and and you said you know i'm out here to observe and to watch them and i'm going to teach them when we get home 
if I get in their heads too much out here, it's not going to be a good thing. So you want to comment on that a little bit, Doug? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, again, I think you do your work at home and we, and we spend endless time in practice, uh, working with guys on stuff in practice, making them aware of situations. I, to me, when you're watching kids in a, in a tournament, when we're on the road, unless you're with a kid for 18 holes, I do not like to interject with kids in the midst of a round. I don't always necessarily, you know, you don't know the ebbs and flows of a round. You drive up on a kid and maybe he's coming off three birdies and he's feeling his oats and you need to just stay the hell away. Or you come up on a kid that's made three bogeys in a row and you need to just say, hey, let's go. Let's dig in. Okay. You know, we have a big saying in our program when, when things aren't going well, at some point you got to draw the line in the sand and say, let's start over. And then let's get back and let's, let's hit the ball in the fairway. Let's put the ball in the green. Let's make a par. Let's move on from where we were. So, you know, I, I am one of those guys where my assistant coach does most of the coaching on the road. And, and that is we put him with one player and he typically spends 54 holes with one player. And so uh, that's typically a freshman. That's typically a, fr a freshman or a sophomore um, just because we, we want to help them grow and help them, you know, evolve as a player. So like, a, I just feel that, that the players with the work that we do at home, the players ready to go on the road and we need to let them make decisions on their own. Doug, what would be some of the things when you're watching a player or observing him in competition that you're looking for um, to try and build off of when you guys get home for those off weeks into the next event? Or what are the things you're looking for in particular when you're watching those players? Decision-making, um, you know, when to be, when to be aggressive, um, shot execution, um, from shot execution, you can look at club selection, trajectory, um, shaping the ball into the wind, flighting the ball, um, shot selection off of a hole where driver is not necessary or taking the aggressive approach on a hole where you feel like I'm driving the ball great today. I've got a hole I can attack, even though it may be a little bit tighter. I can attack it, get up there and have a shorter club into the green. I just really am looking at a lot of things. I also pay close attention to body language and their self-talk and what, what, what's going on. I'm taking notes um, the whole time I'm out there. And, you know, not only am I watching my players, I'm watching other players as well. So if my player is playing with, you know, let, let's just throw out a Dylan Meyer from Illinois or an Alvaro Ortiz from Arkansas, just guys that we've played with, I want my guys to be able to observe, okay, let's – what, what was Dylan's body language today when he was shooting 74 versus he shoot 65 the next day? And th those are things we just, we just want to make our guys aware of their surroundings and how their body language and their demeanor on the golf course can affect their play in a positive and a negative way. Mm -hmm. But it gets that you're just constantly harping on, on learning. That's, that's what oh, it's all about. Can't stop. Yep. Can't stop. You know, and we, we, you know, I talk about, you know, one of the things that, that I remember way back in the days that I was playing, growing up in Ohio, I didn't have, I had enough opportunities to play on Bermuda grass to, to learn, but I still was not proficient enough on Bermuda grass. And I remember playing with Paul Azinger one year at Disney and I watched him chip and I just was absolutely dumbfounded 
how he hit it inside the leather every time. And so, of course, being the inquisitive guy that I was, after the round, I was like, look, you got to show me. <laughs> you got to show me. He goes, well, I can't give away all my secrets. <laughs> I said, but you got to give me 50% of them just so I can get the ball in the green. <laughs> and so I don't want, I mean, I don't need to chip it to inside the leather like you do every time. I just want to give myself a chance to get it up and down every time. But it's just stuff like that to where you see a player do something. And 99% of the guys on tour that I played with, if I went up and asked them a question, they were going to share some advice. And that's part of what makes the tour great. That was one of my most favorite things about the tour was the camaraderie and guys willing to share some of their secrets. Very cool. Do you have any other topics that you would like to, to cover or share in terms of uh, how you're coaching your players or, yeah, think, or things juniors should think about? You want to go into recruiting? Uh, yeah, let's do that next. But I just okay. wanted to give you okay. a chance to, to add no, anything really, else just, in case we missed it. No, you're, I mean, I think we're pretty much spot on. And I, and I think, um, you know, again, it's, it's about the four years that the player's here and you have four years to prepare him for wherever he's going. It can be pro golf. It can be the business world. It can be doing things like you guys are doing, giving back to the game. You've got to, it is your job as a coach to prepare these kids for whatever's coming their way. Hey Doug, I've got, I've got one more question for you yep. on kind of the, preparation for events uh, and I think with your background with the playing background and obviously you've been been coaching for a long time as well Brad and I have the opportunity to take uh, some juniors every once in a while to some of these uh, junior tournaments and help them with their practice rounds what would be advice that you could give to some junior golfers or some college golfers when they're preparing for their event on site so not necessarily the the prep going into the event but once they're there what advice would you give them for utilizing that practice round to the best of their ability? Because oftentimes it's only only one round to get a good game yes. plan for that course. Yes. Well, I think there's a couple things. That's that's a great question. I think there, there's two levels of getting ready. There's preparation and there's practice. You practice before the tournament. You prepare when you get to the tournament. So one of the things that, that, that I do um, in our program with technology today I can get a pretty good gauge five or six days before we go to a tournament. What's the weather going to be like leading into the event? What's the weather going to be like when we get there? So we already have an idea as a team. Okay, is the course going to play firm fast? If it's a new venue, we got to go there and learn it quickly. But if it's a venue we've played at for X number of years in a row, we know what we're going to get when we get there if we know what the weather is going to be like leading into it. So that's one thing that I pay very close attention to is I look at the weather leading into an event before we get there. Um, so I have a good, good idea. And then really depending on the length of time that we have between events, you know, we will spend some time uh, focusing in on maybe par three iron shots that we need to hit. Um, you know, take Purdue for an example, you know, Purdue's um, Campton is all about your, your iron shots on those par threes. Yeah. If you two can and, hit good. two and 17 are pretty darn demanding. And then, uh, what is that? 12 or 13 over there on the other side that. Yeah. And then the little short one on the back nine along the river, along the water there. Yeah. So I mean, it's, that's a course where we're going to be, we know that one of the keys to that golf course is execution on the par threes. And it's not about making birdie. It's about making par and hitting the ball in the green. And, you know, sometimes that includes proper shape, 
proper trajectory, a lot of different things. So we, we talk about a lot of those things leading into leading into an event. But really, you know, like I said at the beginning, there's a big difference between practice and preparation. And I think the other big thing that a lot of kids don't do a very good job of, and that is when you play your practice round, you've got to be observant. And by observant, I mean find out where can you check out other hole locations on different greens. So when you're walking down a hole, and obviously if you don't know the course, you've got to get used to the golf course, but observe if I'm playing the first hole and I can see the fifth green and the seventh green, and I can see where the flag is. I know we have pin sheets, but it's still nice to have an awareness of where that flag is. So I'm teaching a lot of things in practice rounds. I want guys tracking distances. So a prime example is when we went to Myrtle Beach two weekends ago for a practice trip, we're at sea level. Well, guess what? By having a game that can travel, you do a great job of tracking yardage. Just so, you know, I tell the kids by the last round of a college tournament, you should have a minimum of three yardages on that hole of three shots that you've hit into that green. So you might have, let's just say the first day you got 157 front, Pins on 17, you got 174. What club did I hit? How far did I carry it? So the next day, if I got a similar number, boom, this is easy. Because you guys know some shots play fast, some shots play slow. You know, it's it's just, you've got to create knowledge for yourself. And that's just part of it, um, you know, tracking numbers. So again, practice rounds, you just got to really learn. And it's not about spending six hours out there. It's about being observant. So that, that's my biggest thing is be aware of your surroundings. Awesome. Good I advice. think that's some great information. One more thing before we transition yes. to asking you yep. about recruiting. Um, yep. You've got a lot of, you know, junior golfers that you're recruiting on your team that want to play professionally. What advice would you give that golfer that is, is dead set on playing professionally after school? Well, I think first, first and foremost, if you want to be a professional athlete in any sport, it requires sacrifices and you've got to be, you've got to be willing to sacrifice. And, you know, I would go back to my days when I left Ohio to go to the university of Oklahoma. So when I left and I came home in the summer, I played a huge summer schedule with Sunahan, a Porter cup, Western USAM played all the events in the summer, but I had friends from high school that wanted to see me. And my rule, and, and thankfully I was mature at that time, was my rule was my work comes first, you come second. And that was a sacrifice that I made. And, you know, it's one of those situations to where if you really want to be great at something, it's going to require not doing maybe some things that you want to do and sacrificing, you know, for your well-being. And again, it, it's not sacrificing a friendship. It's, it's making you better. And that's the biggest that's probably the biggest thing that I would say is if you want to be a tour player, you got to sacrifice. You got to, you got to do things that, you know, you got to make sacrifices and not do things maybe that you want to do to better yourself. Great advice. Coach, right. we going to recruiting. Yeah, yes. let's go into recruiting. So Doug, when you are looking, evaluating kids, what are some of the things you're paying attention to? Uh, and I'm sure it's the same things in many regards that you've t touched on with your current players, body yep. language, decision-making yep. and so on. Anything yep. else that you're really yes. uh, looking for that stands out when you're evaluating kids? Yes. First and foremost, when I start talking with them on the phone is trying to get to know them and trying to get to know who they are, what they stand for. Um, the first thing and foremost is someone has to hand, they, 
the player has to be able to handle being a student athlete. Um, you know, times have changed drastically and you've got to be able to be a student athlete. We're, we're blessed in our program to have seven straight semesters of a 3.5 or higher team GPA. Nice. Academic, academics is a high priority in our program. We, it's something that I make time for all of our kids on the road to, to do their homework. We travel with my fives to all the hotels to make sure our kids have the fastest internet service. Um, it's a big part of our program. Secondly, does the player fit our culture? Um, are, are they going to come in here and, and be willing to get dirty and work hard and get better? Um, and, and we really learn that through when they can take a visit. I learned that through our conversations on the phone. Then obviously something we've covered, their demeanor on the golf course, their body language, toughness. Do they have the ability to bounce back? Um, how do they handle adversity, both good adversity and bad adversity? You know, how does a kid handle burying the first four holes? Does he go into stall mode and say, I need to protect, or does he just keep attacking? Or what happens to the guy that bogeys the first two? Is he able to bounce back and, you know, make a round out of it? Uh, we focus in on technique in all parts of their game. You know, golf swing obviously is is something that, that, that I look at, but golf swing is not the end all to end all. I want a guy that's going to be able to, to repeat something and execute shots. Uh, we look at trajectory control. Do they vary their trajectory? You know, the junior golf wedge shots that go, you know, 140 feet in the air, you know, instead of 75 or 80. Uh, trajectory control is a big part. Versatility from 100 yards and in, you know, do they have the ability to go away from the 60 or the 56 green side? Do they have the ability to get the ball on the ground and make it run? Um, you know, just, just technique around the greens. What kind of putter are they? Uh, how's their speed control? You know, and then really last, we find out real quickly the question that you you asked earlier about wanting to be play professional golf. It's one of the questions that I finish with. Do you have a desire to work hard and get better and play this game beyond college? If so, we want you in our program. If not, you probably need to find somewhere else to play. Um, we want guys to to grow and build in our program. And, you know, I think Austin Squires is probably going to be our first tour player to to come out of here. And but he's been he's been that coachable kid and that there, there's a reason why he is where he is today. So that's really from a recruiting base. That's, that's really what, what we look for. Obviously speed is, is, is important, but that that's, that's more down the list for us. Hey Doug, one of the first things you mentioned was just trying to get to know the player on a little bit more of a personal level. And in, in our previous podcast, we talked uh, about some of the recruiting mistakes that Brad and I see all the time. And obviously you see these too. One of those was the content that these players are sending to coaches. Uh, and oftentimes, I'm sure you can attest for this, the emails you get, they look very similar. Oftentimes, they're just just a score update. Uh, could you go into a little bit of details of providing the, the average junior golfer on things you like to see that would help the coach get to know the player, and then also maybe some things that would be beneficial for the players to ask that they could get to know you better? Well, one of the things that, that, that I, I try to do early on in the recruiting process is I introduce myself to them and, and I really share with them kind of who I am, what I stand for, why I'm coaching and how I can help you. That, that's right off where I start. And, and you then figure out um, how that kid responds to you. Okay, I want to hear a little bit about you. What do you like to do? What are your goals academically? What are your goals golf-wise? You know, what are your hobbies? Um, what do you do outside of what? You, what do you do outside of golf? So 
my big thing is is developing a relationship with them to where number one if they decide to come here there's an immediate level of trust and we've already you know I want friendships with my players, but I also want my players to understand that I need to get after you. I'm coming. I'm coming after you because I'm coming after you because I see something that I think you can be better at. And if I don't do that, shame on me. And if the player can't accept that as coaching, shame on them. Awesome. Well, let's go to some stories and you've got to have some beauties. So <laughs> from, well, from your time playing and I mean, yeah. Here's a guy who's the number one junior in the country, number one amateur in the country, played professionally, one on tour, uh, coaching college, what, 13 years, 14 years. Yep. Yep. You've got to have some beauty. So we want to hear him. Well, I think, you know, my, my stories in college are, are incredible from, from my team. And eventually someday I'm going to write a book and that that's, that's going to be, that's, that's going to be funny. But I think, you know, kind of looking through my career, there's some stories that just are not appropriate for this podcast. But one of <laughs> one of the, one of my stories really got really three things that come to mind. Not number one, just the experience of playing at that level and and competing at the highest level of a sport that you grew up dreaming of playing professionally is it was it was absolutely a dream come true. I still today miss competition. I don't miss the traveling from the PGA Tour, but I miss my friends and I miss competing. So that's the first thing really from a story standpoint. The second was, was when I was being recruited to go to college. And this was, you know, one of the all-time classics is so um, I was being recruited by, by Ohio State. And I also played basketball for my dad in high school. And one evening, Jack Nicholas called the house asking for, to talk to me. And I was at basketball practice and so my sister answers the phone and, you know, of course, my sister being three years younger than I and mischievous, you know, she answers the phone. Hello, this is the Martins. And uh, Jack says, uh, can I speak with Doug? And my sister's like, he's not here. He's at basketball practice. Can I help you? And he goes, yeah, this is Jack Nicholas. And my sister goes, yes. And I'm Santa Claus too. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was, so he ended up, he ends up calling me after practice and, Obviously, we, you know, shared some stories, you know, when I was on tour and obviously played at Muirfield um, in his event, which is n not even debatable, the best event on the PGA Tour and how he takes care of his players and how he's mentored so many of these young guys, the Justin Thomases, the Jordan Spees, the Ricky Fowlers. The, the guy truly is a legend. The guy's truly a legend. And then probably one of my funny ones that I think John Feinstein's written about it in one of his books. So... One year in Atlanta back, I think it was 95 or 96, I was scheduled to play in the Pro-Am in the afternoon at like 1 o'clock, and <clears throat> Davis Love and I were friends, and Davis asked me if I would take his 640 Pro-Am slot because Lexi had a horse show, and he wanted to um, he wanted to go to the horse show, and then he would be able to make my Pro-Am time. So they always have a Pro-Am party on Tuesday night, and they select the players or whatever, and so they... Uh, at the pro-am party, they forgot to swap Davis in my name. And so we're standing on the range at like 6 a.m. in the morning, floodlights out there so we can hit balls. And I'm hitting balls, and the guy standing in front of me um, is hitting, and the guy behind me, so I'm right sandwiched in between these two guys. And the guy behind me goes, um, hey, Jim, who are you playing with today? And 
Jim turns around and looks right through me and says, man, he goes, we got screwed today. We were supposed to be playing with Davis Love and we're playing with this Doug Martin guy. <laughs> and I put out my hand and I said, Doug Martin. And this guy just absolutely went to lockjaw. But the best, the best part of the story is, so we go out and our team wins the Pro-Am. And they requested to play with me the next four years that I was on tour. That's so beautiful. that's awesome. It's a classic story. We had we had a great time. And the, the funny part was the guy that made the comment, his buddies absolutely harassed him to no end the entire round. The guy was a really good player and couldn't even find it the whole day. So that that was one of my one of my favorite stories that was on me. It was really good. I that's a it. really, really good story. <laughs> Hey, this has been awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, our listeners are going to just eat this up, and uh, we appreciate it and look forward to seeing you at some events here uh, soon. Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate as coaches what you guys are doing here in the Midwest. It's, it's great to see your involvement, and you know, it's, it's, it's really easy to see the love that you have for these young men that you work with. And uh, you know, God bless those guys because they're learning a lot from you too. Hey, awesome. thanks, Doug. Thanks so much, Have Doug. a good day. Appreciate it. All right. Take Talk care, guys. Bye. Bye.